That should work. Yeah, I guess it's been a while since I've preached in person, uh, Unicoi seniors. Uh, yeah. I was telling some of you guys, I haven't printed out like a manuscript in like a year. Uh, so it's weird because I usually have it on the screen. I can just like read it, but now it's like, wow, I can see your eyes. I can see more interactions. Um, before it just be like silence on the Zoom. So this is a uh, pretty, pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, nothing super different. We'll have the sermon and then you guys have small groups at uh, 8.30. So hopefully I can uh, finish in time. And yeah, you guys are all spread out. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, that video that Derek just made that transitions us into uh, the sermon. It's great. I don't have to do an intro anymore. Um, if you guys were here last week, you guys know that uh, we were in Genesis, uh, I believe 38, and it was about Judah and Tamar. And that was a very tragic account of uh, Judah who uh, mistreats his daughter-in-law, Tamar, and actually hires her as a prostitute because he doesn't recognize her. And so this really is contrasted with today, which is about uh, Joseph fleeing from Potiphar's wife. So it's a contrast. Uh, Judah fails in um, sexual immorality, but Joseph is pure in his sexual purity. Um, so see this work? All right. There we go. So the preview today, um, like it normally is, there is uh, the first part, I'm just gonna explain the narrative. And then afterwards, uh, I'm going to answer the so what's. What's the big idea? What is the theological insight? Are we just here to listen to stories? Is that it? No, there's actually something much more uh, important. And so that's what I'll do after. Um, I do want to give two tips for you guys to understanding narrative. Um, the first one is the narrator is not primarily interested in describing a character's physical appearance, but they're more interested in their status, their profession their tribal designation. But when you do see the narrator describe uh, someone's physical appearance, you need to ask why. You need to ask, oh, why did they do that? Because that's normally not what the narrator does. And then secondly, and finally, the narrator is interested in shaping the characters through their words and actions. So when people are speaking, you wanna pay attention to that. You want to uh, see that this is shaping who they are uh, as characters. All right, so if you guys have your Bibles, which I'm sure you guys do, um, please turn to Genesis chapter 39. And that's where we will start. Genesis 39. The sound of Bibles flipping. It's a very, uh, <laughs> very soothing, yeah. It's like when you play those YouTube videos, it's like rushing water while you're studying. It's like the... <laughs> All right, so Genesis 39, that's where we'll be. All right, so once you guys are there, it looks like you guys are all there. I'm gonna start reading verses one to six, so follow along. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his, of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that, made, that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, 
the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessings of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Um, so my first slide, we'll get some more. There you go. I don't know why I canceled out. But my first slide, another drawing for you guys. There you go. <laughs> this is Potiphar in the middle. Um, uh, I was going to say Tamar, but it's not Tamar. It's uh, Potiphar's wife on the left side who sees uh, Joseph, and he is finding success in the house of uh, Potiphar. And she's there with those uh, oogly eyes, googly eyes with uh, Cupid's arrow. Um, symbolism, and she doesn't want Potiphar. That arrow is not a Potiphar. It is, um, it is pointed at Joseph. All right, so hopefully that helps you out a bit, get some a visual. Um, and so Joseph, he rises basically to second in command in the house of Potiphar. I want you to think of Batman, all right? I don't know if you guys watched uh, the Justice League or, or Batman, but you know Batman, he has his butler, Alfred. Um, Alfred's not just like his slave or, or his servant. But Alfred trusts, I mean, Batman trusts Alfred with his life. Um, he's not just some gardener out there trimming like the bushes in the front yard. Um, when Bruce or Batman is away, you know, fighting the bad guys, he trusts um, Alfred with his life, with his uh, manner, with everything. And kind of in the same way, Joseph, he has earned the trust of Potiphar. So much that in the text, if you look in verse 4, it says that Joseph attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So this is how much trust Potiphar had for Joseph. And it's not because of Joseph and what he's like, but it's because that the Lord was with Joseph. And uh, you guys came through. We had some student submissions for a drawing. So I want to show a drawing that one of you guys submitted. This is Joseph out in the field. There you go. So, yeah, give me a little, little hand of applause. Uh, thank you to Chester Law who drew this. So, uh, I believe Joseph is in the middle with the yellow coat, I believe. Um, and he's in charge of both the house and the field. And so, this is what happens when the Lord is with Joseph. Good things happen. The Lord causes all that um, Joseph does to succeed. If you look at verse 2, it says the Lord was with Joseph. If you look at verse 3, it says his master saw that the Lord was with him, uh, and the Lord caused all he did to succeed in his hands. Verse 5, uh, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. So again, what does this tell you? It doesn't tell you that Joseph is the hero of the story. Remember week one, we said that God is the hero of the story. And so just when it seems that Joseph is getting his life back on track, something happens. A woman enters the picture. And if you know the story, it's Potiphar's wife. So uh, let's see what she does. So let's look at verses 6 and go down to verse 10. Uh, the second part of verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. All right, that's Joseph. Verse 7, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. 
and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Let's stop there. All right, remember in the beginning, I said that the narrator doesn't always often describe physical appearances, but when he or she does, that's when we have to pay attention. And obviously the narrator found it important to describe Joseph as handsome in form and appearance. Remember Joseph, he's a teenager. He's 17 years old. <laughs> if he was a student at Unicoi, girls, he would be the hot item. Everyone would be like, oh my gosh, Joseph, that Hebrew boy. Mm-mm. What's his Instagram handle? Uh, no, no, not Chris Evans. You know, Joseph, Chris Evans, no, John Walker, and then Chris Evans. And then <laughs> if you guys, yeah. So, you know, Joseph, he's, he's up there. Um, that would be really interesting if we went to heaven, we saw Joseph. Like, oh man, can we confirm what the Bible says about his appearance? Um, but somebody notices Joseph and it's Potiphar's wife. And over time she develops the hots for Joseph and she tries to, uh, seduce him, tries to sleep with her. And in verse 10, it uses an unusual phrase. It uses the phrase to lie beside her, which is kind of vague because it kind of communicates. She's not explicitly saying sleep with me, but she's more saying like, sit next to me. It's a very vague term. It's like that vulgar phrase that you hear, um, Netflix and chill. You, you know, it's not really like asking explicitly, but it's hinting at something. That's what she's trying to do. She's saying, hey, Joseph, let's just sit on the couch. Let's just watch some Netflix together. You know, we're, let's just hang out. No one else is here. And we know, though, that she wants more than that. Uh, she wants uh, to sleep with Joseph. She's a sneaky one. And uh, back then, you know, Adultery, like it is back then, it's, uh, it's frowned upon. It's uh, condemned, actually, in the Mosaic Law in Exodus 20, and uh, the penalty actually was death. Um, and so when Joseph is confronted with his offer, he says, no, he says, my master put me in charge of everything. I'm in charge of the house, the field, and you're his wife. How could I betray the trust of, of Potiphar? Uh, I'm in charge of everything, and, but you are off limits. And so uh, that's on one level, but on the ultimate level, Joseph says, how can I do this wickedness against God? And so remember last week, Judah and Tamar, and this week, Joseph succeeded where Judah failed. Last week, we saw that Judah failed in sexual immorality. This week, Joseph shines and he flees from temptation. So Judah, if you're listening, you better take notes from this guy. Joseph demonstrates fear of the Lord. Now, it says in verse 10 that this happened day after day. So it just wasn't a one-time occurrence. It meant every day, day after day, Potiphar's wife would try to do something to tempt Joseph. And things get from bad to worse. So let's look at verses 11 to 12. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. 
but he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Let's stop there. So now the narrator zooms in on a specific moment in time. And this, again, is when everything unravels again for Joseph. And for whatever reason, he's alone in the house. And he's the only person there except for Potiphar's wife. And she sees her chance. She knows, okay, the servants, the other servants are in the field. Joseph, um, he's here in the house. This is my opportunity. And so she tries to grab his garment, but he flees. He runs away. He sprints out of the house. And he, again, he reveals his godly character. He runs away as if he's running away from Godzilla like a monster. And she's left with just a garment in her hand. She's flustered. She's angry. She's embarrassed. And she is not going to let him get away. And so she is going to uh, hatch a plan that will trap him. And so her pride is broken. Let's see what she does. Let's look at verses 13 to 18. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as, soon as, I heard, and, as, and as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought out among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Let's stop there. All right, so here's the next, next picture that by a student's uh, submission. There we go. It's by Irissa Lee. Yeah. It looks like I was so impressed when I saw it. It was like an actual anime. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> it's like a Naruto or something. But um, so basically, this is capturing the scene where Joseph is there and Potiphar's wife is spinning this lie to Potiphar. And I don't know if you heard this saying, but the, as the old saying goes, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. In other words, if you Google it, a woman who has been rejected by a man can be ferociously angry and vindictive. Uh, vindictive, yeah, thanks, Sharon. <laughs> yeah, so basically she's gone cray cray and she sees, the, <laughs> she sees the garment in her hands and the wheels in her twisted mind begin to start turning. And she says, let's ruin this Hebrew boy. And she calls Wolf and she lies to the men of a household and plays a victim card. And she phrases it in a way where it puts all the blame on, uh, on almost Potiphar. Uh, she says, look at what this Hebrew has done. He's laughing at us. He tried to sleep with me and I screamed and he ran off. And she waits for Potiphar to get back. And she phrases it in a way that, yeah, it kind of challenges him. She says, the Hebrew servant whom you, Potiphar, have brought among us came into me just to make sport of me. And so she kind of takes a jab at Potiphar, someone who she accuses him almost of being so trusting of, of Joseph. And so this is very embarrassing, and this angers Potiphar. And so let's see what he does next in verses 19 to 20. Verse 19, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. 
And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoner were confined. And he was there in prison. Let's stop there. Well, this is familiar. Joseph, again, gets the short end of the stick. Before he was thrown into the pit. Um, then he's thrown into the, the caravan on the way to Egypt. Now he's thrown into prison. So just when life gets a little bit better, he rises the ranks in, in Potiphar's house. It gets worse again. And so it was actually a little bit surprising that Joseph is not put to death. And even some commentators wonder, why wasn't he put to death? It would have been a very normal outcome. And some commentators maybe uh, speculate. Maybe Potiphar was suspicious of his own wife. Maybe she had a pattern of lying. Um, maybe Potiphar actually trusted Joseph and didn't want to give him a harsher punishment. Um, this is a, a weird one from a commentator. Uh, this one suggests maybe Potiphar's wife intervened to give Joseph a lighter sentence so she, she could get with him after she's released. I'm like, wow, this would be a really cool alternate timeline novel that someone could write up or um, that'd be really interesting. <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? Bible ship? All right, we'll, we'll ask you after. <laughs> so for whatever reason, Joseph again escapes death by the hand of God. He gets prison, which is much better than death. So here we have poor Joseph. He's in this dark cell with other prisoners of the king. Um, but we see that God does not abandon Joseph, continue, continues to keep his promise. And we're going to see that. Let's look now at verses 21 to 23. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. All right, so my next and final slide is, yeah, this is Joseph in prison, but he's not sad, he's happy because the Lord is with him in Egypt State Penitentiary. Um, and we see that the Lord, again, is with Joseph. He shows him steadfast love and gave him favor. I want to point out that if you look in verse four, it says that Potiphar showed favor to Joseph. But now we read that it's the Lord who shows favor to Joseph in verse 21. It was always God. Yes, maybe in the beginning, it was a human Potiphar showing favor to, to Joseph. But behind that, above all that, it was God showing favor to Joseph. So you can throw Joseph in prison. God says, great, I actually need Joseph to be near the king so that he can rise in the ranks and be a blessing to the nations. And so he uses the evil of being thrown in prison of Potiphar's wife's wise, and he uses that for a good purpose. And so whatever evil comes Joseph's way, God uses it for good to further his plan to bless the nations through Abraham. And so this is why um, God allows Joseph to find favor in the eyes of the prison keeper. So even in the face of evil, we see that God uses evil, the evil of Potiphar's wife's lying tongue for his good purpose. And ultimately, this will be a blessing to the nations. So as we come to the end of the narrative, we have to ask the question, so what? 
why, why does this matter? I've heard this growing up in children's worship. It's nothing necessarily new. Maybe I learned a couple new things, but why does this matter to my life right now in 2021 as you know, things are starting to look better in COVID? Why, why should a, a story like this impact me? And this is what I want to unpack for the rest of my time. Um, so my next slide has the so what. And I want to focus on two things, God's presence and God's promise. In this narrative, I want to argue and show us that it's God's presence and God's promise that we see out here. First, God's presence. We saw that it was God who was with Joseph. We saw that in Potiphar's, in the, uh, Potiphar's house, and we also see that in the prison. But we also see God's promise. If you guys take a step back, um, so right now we've been in the Joseph narrative, but if you look at the bigger picture, God makes a promise to Joseph's family. I actually want to show you. So if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Genesis chapter 12. And this is known as the Abrahamic Covenant. And this is when God makes a covenant with Abraham. Only three verses, so it should be pretty short to get there. Genesis chapter 12. Before I read, there, there are things I want us to know about the nature of a covenant. Uh, basically, a covenant is a promise between two parties. Um, you bring me a soda and then I'll bring you boba. That's a covenant between two parties. Um, so two types of covenant. One is a conditional covenant. If you're good, you can, you know, hang out with your friends on the weekend. Your parents might say that to you, but there's an unconditional covenant where one party will hold up their end of the deal, whether or not the, the other party does or not. So the Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant that God will hold up his end of the deal whether or not Abraham and his family hold up their end of the deal or are obedient. So let's, what God, let's see what God says in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So basically, God promises Abraham three things. Number one, land. Number two, descendants. And number three, blessing. All right? Those are the three things that he promises to the family of Abraham. And uh, next slide. The family of Abraham. You know, we, it starts with Abraham and Isaac goes to Jacob. Uh, then Isaac and then Jacob and then the 12, 12 brothers. Um, and that's where we end up with Joseph. So God preserving Joseph, it's not just because God is nice. God is nice. He is loving, but he's keeping his promise that he made to his ancestor, Abraham. And we see that God keeps his promise. And ultimately, we know from this family that Jesus springs forth from the family of Abraham. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's great. Uh, they're Israelites, but I'm Asian. I'm Chinese. God is for them. He's not for me. Why would this matter to me at First Chinese Baptist Church? Now, don't be so hasty. I want to argue that you are included in the family of Abraham. Let me show you. Turn now to Galatians chapter 3. Now we're in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 3. I want to argue that by faith, 
you are in the family of Abraham, which is kind of crazy because you think about this is thousands and thousands of years ago, but we're actually considered part of that family. So go to Galatians chapter three. The context for this, Paul rebukes the Galatians for believing in the lie that you have to become a Jew. You have to observe the law in order to be a Christian. So go to Galatians chapter three. Let's look at verse seven. Here's what it says. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Wow, it answers it right there. Verse eight. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's non-Jew, by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now jump down to verse 26, should be in the same area. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Stop there. So I don't know if you guys get it, but God's presence and God's promise, it's not just for those who are Jews or people thousands of years ago. It's for you and me. It's for people who place their faith in Christ because those who place their faith in Christ are supernaturally included in the family of Abraham. So as Asians, we don't have to observe the Mosaic law. That would be very painful uh, for some of us. We place our faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And this secures God's promise and God's presence in your life. And this makes all the difference when you and I face evil in this world, just like Joseph did. And so how might God's presence and promise through Jesus impact the way we deal with evil in our lives? In my life, I felt this probably uh, the most vividly in the summer of 2014. I was starting my first year of seminary. It was the summer. I was at my friend's house. We were watching Captain Phillips, a great action movie. Um, and it was like probably around midnight or something where I get a text from my mom and she texts me that my dad was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And I knew he was kind of coughing recently, but I, that was a shock for me. Uh, as, as you guys know, or most of you guys know, stage four is the final stage of lung cancer and the survival rate is uh, very low. And I remember in that moment, it was like the, um, the most epic part of the movie, but I just couldn't focus. And my emotions were just slamming me uh, in that moment. And I never, I think in that moment, imagined a world without uh, my dad. That was an evil that I just didn't, um, just didn't comprehend. You don't really grow up thinking or expecting that. But there I was still at my friend's house in the summer, supposed to have fun as a kid or as a young adult, but I was devastated uh, in that moment. And as you guys know, uh, his funeral was several months later that November. Um, I have a, it's a tombstone, I guess. Now that's, that's my dad, it's at Rose Hills, if you guys have uh, been there before. And I remember my whole life, sometimes I couldn't sleep at night um, growing up because uh, growing up, my dad wasn't a Christian. And so I would have nights where I would just wonder out loud, like if my dad died today, would, be in, would he be in heaven or would he be in hell? <clears throat> and I couldn't sleep because I knew that if my dad died um, that, that night, 
he would be in hell. He wouldn't be in heaven. And that thought terrified me. Uh, I questioned, God, why would you even create a hell? Um, why would you even allow people like my dad to suffer eternal torment? Like he wasn't a murderer or he wasn't a robber. Um, why would a good God or a loving God allow hell? That seems like such a, a great evil. And I remember growing up wrestling with questions like that. Um, but just as we see in the Joseph story, uh, just as the Joseph story reveals a God who can use evil for his good purpose, I saw God use cancer as a wake-up call in my dad's life. I remember growing up, I had sometimes as a kid, elementary, like, hey, hey, dad, or hey, ba, hey, papa, uh, why don't you go to church? Um, and I remember he'd always tell me, like, oh, I'm busy, I got to do work around the house. But this cancer was a wake-up call for him. My dad, for the first time, had to wrestle with questions like, what happens after I die? Um, is there a God? Is there a heaven and hell? And where am I going if I do die? And I saw that it terrified him. And I remember pastors from my home church would um, show up and pray for him. And miraculously, cancer opened my dad's eyes and he gave his life to Jesus uh, within those months between summer and November. And it was a beautiful picture of what I saw as a childlike faith. Because I think, you know, growing up in church, we kind of know like Christian lingo, like, hey, dear God, thank you for this day. Uh, keep us safe on the drive home. Um, nourish this, this, my body with this food. It's like, it's just, you know, Christian lingo, but seeing my dad like pray for the first time, <clears throat> it was like a childlike faith. He wasn't faking anything. He wasn't um, saying it for the sake of saying it. It was, you know, a grown man, but who was desperate like a child. And I saw that God used an evil like cancer for his higher purpose. I remember his funeral was on a Saturday and the next day it was uh, a Sunday. And I remember that Sunday it was raining um, and I was still a mess. Um, I think I visited my home church on that certain Sunday. And uh, yeah, it was really just emotions as well. My, my friend sat, ne sat next to me. Um, and I remember driving home um, and it was raining, but when I got home, uh, the sun kind of peeked out of, out of the clouds. And I have a picture because I like documenting everything as you guys see. And I stopped and I just saw my house just lit. Um, <laughs> no joke intended, but just lit by the sun peeking out of the clouds. And I'm not going to say anything mystical like, oh my gosh, God was smiling on my house that day. I'm not going to say anything like that. But I just knew in that moment, like God's presence was there. God was with me. And I also knew God's promise would be a stable foundation. I know that I was devastated knowing that I probably had to live the rest of my life without my dad. <clears throat> but the promise is that those in Christ will rise again. I know that I will see my dad once again. If I didn't have that promise, where's the comfort for me? I wouldn't have any comfort. And I think this year, we've seen so much evil. We, we've seen so much death through COVID. Uh, we've seen so much racism. We've seen uh, just so much difficulty in your life. And maybe you're wondering, why is there so much evil? If God is so powerful, can't he just snap his fingers and, and, and fix that? But I think the story of Joseph shows us that sometimes God permits evil to a certain extent in order to accomplish a, a greater good a higher purpose. 
and in the story of Joseph, it's to be a blessing for the nations, as you'll find out in a couple of weeks. And, you know, for normal uh, people like me, an evil like cancer, God uses for a higher purpose, like saving the soul of my dad. So, yeah, that's a great deal for me. Would I, I would rather have my dad die an earthly life, but live forever in the arms of God. That is an amazing trade-off. And so it's a necessary evil, but for a greater good. And we see a God who is good to do this. So my big idea today moment is this. God's presence and promise produces unshakable hope in an evil and fallen world. I'm sure you probably knew this already, but I hope the life of Joseph illustrates this. And maybe for some of you, it's like, oh, this is kind of the same big idea as week one or week two. That's the point. In narratives, it's not so clear cut. Like week one is topic one. Week two is topic two. Sometimes it just drives home the same idea over and over and over again. And so this is the big idea I want us to take away. So as you leave today, as you face evil and disappointment, maybe by people, circumstances, maybe it's a failed test score, a death in the family, a rejection from college, a betrayal by a friend, whatever evil we go through, we can remember God and his promise and his presence. Growing up, there was a, I want to conclude by reading a poem. I know you normally don't do this. And you probably have heard this poem growing up. I saw it on like, you know, on walls and families' homes. And it always seems so corny. But the more I think about it, it's actually very powerful. And it's called Footprints in the Sand. Maybe you've heard of it. Some of you guys are nodding. Um, yeah, it's in bathrooms. It should, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if it's in a woman's restroom, but I'm sure it's not. Not that I'm there, but you know. <laughs> so... Footprints in the sand, it goes like this. I don't really have a poetic voice, but here's how it starts. One night I dreamed a dream as I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there's only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you. You'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you most, you would leave me. He whispered, my precious, my precious child, I love you. It will never leave you. Never ever during your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Just thinking about that reminds us of God's power, his promise, and his presence in our life. And may that encourage us as we go out today. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we conclude in prayer, um, God, a lot of us are living lives where we are just uh, either neglectful or forgetful about your 
presence and your promise. May that never be as we go forward in life. Lord, we saw the way that you raised Joseph high above his station. You placed him high in the house of Potiphar and high in the, um, in the prison. And this is the same God that we pray to right now, that you keep your promises. You have offered salvation. And so I pray that every soul listening tonight would wrestle with the question, are you saved? So Lord, may our small groups be blessed by conversations that convict us, challenges, challenge us. May we go out trusting you more and more each day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. Uh, I guess you guys can go on to breakout rooms. Let me close the screen so I...